I'm super excited that you're joining us this last week of teaching in this series called Love is a Verb. First, I want to make sure that you're aware that next week I'm starting my Christmas series, which is simply called Hope. And as we come to the end of this year and position ourselves for a brand new year, if there ever was a time that we need to figure out in such toxicity and such grief ridden moments how to make hope accessible and tangible, it is now. So I want to encourage you to reach out to your family and friends, invite them to join us here online and make sure even if you guys feel comfortable joining, if you're local in the Bay Area, you feel free to join us at our local campuses. All right, let's get on with the teaching of this. This last week, I've enjoyed teaching this series, Love is a Verb. Let's start our reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You may be familiar with this passage of scripture. The whole 13th chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians is referred to as the love chapter. Love in that chapter is, ref- is translated agape. It's a God kind of love. And, and here's what Paul says in verse 7 about how God loves, that, that God loves looks and acts like this. It's just, uh, you, you can say it like this, God loves, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. In other words, simply put, God's love perseveres. Here's the NIV translation of the same text. Listen, it says, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, it always perseveres. Now, there's two things I want you to know before we move forward here. And and if you don't get anything else in this message, I want you to get these two things. The first thing I want you to get is that for the last several weeks, we've been talking about the fact that God's love is the highest expression of love, that it's revealed most powerfully, as 1 John 3.16 tells us in this context. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And this remarkable expression of God's love is a love that prioritizes others and elevates the value of others. And it's unconditional, right? The truth be told, we're looking for that kind of love in every relationship we have, whether it be with parents or kids or coaches or mentors or folk that uh, are partners or spouses or every relationship we have, siblings, we, we want a love that is unconditional. We want a love that, 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 that says that what matters to me matters to that person. Yeah. We want a love that, that, that will from time to time sacrifice on our behalf. But listen to this. The first John says this. Therefore, since Jesus laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Here's the point. Become the love that you're looking for. Become the love that you look for. Be that person who unconditionally loves the other, elevates the other, prioritizes the other. Now, here's the second point that I want you to get when you think about this notion that God love perseveres. Here's the second point I want you to get. God doesn't give up on you. No. God never allows the problems in your life and the problems in my life to cause him to lose sight of the potential, the vast potential that exists in our living, in our lives. God never allows the, 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 the fact that perhaps we've been sources of pain, most likely shaped by the pain that has happened to us. He never allows all of that to cause him to lose sight of the incredible possibilities that exist within us 
to be sources of hope and and, and, and love in the world around us. And he never gives up on us. Doesn't matter how shabby your life is. Doesn't matter how many times you fall down. Doesn't matter how, how great the struggle is. He never gives up on you. Surely one who would give his only son. And the son who would give his only life to save you. Obviously he never gives up on you. Now here's the implication very quickly. That if we have that kind of love in our lives. We should not give up on others. It does not mean that we don't draw healthy boundaries. Love draws healthy boundaries. It does not mean we don't back out of toxic, violent, ridden, hateful relationships. Wisdom and love requires that we do that. But what it means is that we don't give up on people. We keep praying for them. We, we keep trusting that God can move in their lives. Come on now. We keep hoping for them. Yeah, and we keep a hard posture that says if we see transformation happening in their lives, that we are open and ready to participate in a brand new season of relationship with them. We do not give up because God's love perseveres. Yeah. God's love does. It cares. It serves. And it perseveres. It hangs in there. Now, there are three other expressions that I want to leave you with today as we think about this notion of a God kind of love that perseveres. It's first is this. God loves, perseveres in doing good. I, I, I should just point this out, which should be obvious, but I'll just point it out. Doesn't matter how horrible and terrible you are, that God just keeps blessing you, doesn't he? <laughs> he just, he keeps, he lets the rain and the sun fall on the just. And the unjust, he continues, he just keeps doing good for you. Now, life may not do well. Life may not do good for you. Life is unfair. Life is not just. But God keeps doing good for you. And the call for you and me is that we want to have a love that allows us to keep doing good. Now, I can hear some of you asking the question. Say, hey, this is a dog-eat-dog world. Why should I just keep doing good? Well, Here's the reason why you should keep doing good. Galatians 6, 7. Here's what it says. Don't be misled. You cannot mark the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And so here's what Paul is saying. If you plant potato seeds, you're going to get potatoes. If you plant watermelon seeds, you're going to get watermelon. If you plant seeds of unconditional, unselfish love, agape love, God's love, it's going to come back to you. You know, I had a elder back in Boston who lived a life that just poured out love. And when she got sick, suddenly she looked around and all that love was coming back to her. And she said to me with tears in her eyes, she said, I don't know why people, it's overwhelming how people are loving me. And I said, well, don't you remember the text we often quote, give, Jesus said, and it shall be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. And I said, you have given out love in a thousand and one ways over the many years of your life, and now it's coming back to you. This is what Paul means, you see, when he writes in verse 9 of chapter 6. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, the time when you most need it, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't give up. Notice that. We'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. This picture is a picture of um, Adam Ruiz. He is a chaplain at a distinguished hospital in Louisville, Kentucky. And he shares this story, remarkable story of how 
uh, as a chaplain uh, during the first few months of COVID. How he faced death after death after death trying to care for people, even by phone. And a lot of the people that were dying uh, in the hospital, he's Latino. A lot of people were dying, a little Latino, uh, a major community that was uh, hard hit by COVID. He said his life was just full of fear and anxiety, as, even as he tried to be a chaplain. And he, and he said he kind of lost the capacity to keep doing good, to keep engaging with people. He just, he, he just lost the capacity until, until he stopped focusing on himself and focusing on what he was feeling, and he started looking around and seeing all the remarkable examples of people all around him who were being courageous and compassionate, and who was doing good on the incredible circumstances. It was so inspiring. It was revitalizing to his heart. People like, for example, he told a story about a woman who was nine months pregnant. She was a pharmacist, not a surgeon or a doctor, or not a nurse, but a pharmacist. And during a cold blue, someone was, uh, they were rushing to try to help save someone's life. She was running back and forth between ICU and the COVID unit, back and forth, back and forth. And when she was asked about running and putting herself at risk, she simply said, look, if you're not willing to run for someone who's dying, what are you willing to run for? Wow. He told a story about a woman named Hannah who was brand new to the ICU unit as a nurse, and she was afraid of contracting COVID. But then she connected with one of her patients. And for nine days in a row, even when she was off, she showed up to care for him. And when she was asked about why are you, you know, what, what is it that allowed you to push past your fear and your anxiety to show up to care? She said, it's Christmas. And she says, I remember the story of Mary and Joseph being turned away at the end. There was no room for them to give birth to Jesus. She says, I I've, I'm going to, I've created room in my heart for this patient. I'm not going to allow him to be out in the cold. I'm going to be his angel, even if he's not conscious that I'm there. Can somebody say, wow. And he just heard story after story after story, of, of both in his hospital and now through friends of things that were happening around the country where people were being courageous and compassionate and suddenly he said he woke up one morning, he was totally revitalized. He could find the strength to keep on doing good because he realized he was not the only one. So I just want to tell somebody who's watching me, you're not the only one for every bad story, for every toxic relationship, for every terrible thing that you hear. There are countless of people surrounding you that are, 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 are doing good courageously compassionately living their lives. You're not by yourself. Last week, I told you, you've got to train your brain to see the goodness of God around you. This week, I want to tell you, you've got to train your brain to see how the goodness of God is manifesting itself in the lives of people all around you. Even if you're going to get your cancer treatment, there are people who are caring for you tenderly and softly. The goodness of people, right? If you're living in a shelter, there's people who are providing food for you and making sure you've got a cot to sleep in and who are doing a, 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 you know, a thousand and one things to make sure that you're cared for. Yeah, good people in the world. For every bad story, there's a thousand good ones. I ask God to open your eyes so you can see them. Look for them. 
that your heart might be revitalized, that you will continue to keep doing good. Don't stop doing good. You know why? Because God's love perseveres. Here's what Paul finally says. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, guys, we should do good to everyone, regardless to who they are, what they look like, but especially starting with those in your own family of faith. Yeah. My mom used to say, charity begins at home and spreads abroad. Don't stop doing good. Don't stop doing good. Secondly, God loves, perseveres in faith. God keeps, you know, I, I ran across one fellow one time and I asked him, I said, do you believe in God? He said, no, I don't believe in God. I said, don't worry about it. God believes in you. <laughs> and he continues to believe in you. And that's why he's moving and working around your life and giving you opportunity and possibility. He believes in you. And we're called to have that kind of faith, to keep believing. Here's what 1 Corinthians 13, here's what Paul writes. Love never gives up. No, love never loses faith. God kind of love is always hopeful. It keeps on believing. Here's a fascinating story that really kind of helped to revitalize my ability to believe. In the midst of here in America, we're so polarized. Every week I'm hearing a story here and there about families being pulled apart, fighting over vaccines, fighting over politics, on and on and on. It's just horrendous. And yet, this is a remarkable story that reminds me that I can keep believing that God is still able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or imagine, even in these broken families, even in this broken political context in which we live, even in this broken world, that where the agape love of God is at work in our heart, miracles can happen. Now, in this picture, you see uh, Susan Jane Brown. She is an environmental lawyer. And you also see Mark Webb. Mark is the executive director of an organization called Blue Mountain Forest Partners. That organization has responsibility for facilitating cooperation between the environment, environmentalists in that part of the world, in Virginia, northern Virginia, uh, and the logging community. Uh, for many years, uh, Susan was a part of a legal effort that won lawsuit after lawsuit that created various legislative uh, victories that put severe limits on what the loggers could do in that uh, Blue Mountain community, which is made up of about 4,000 miles of, uh, of uh, Blue Mountain forests and cattle ranches and farms, et cetera, et cetera. And at the center of it is a town called John Day, 7,000 people, one stoplight. And because of the victories of the environmentalists, uh, people were losing jobs. Industry was shutting down. Folk couldn't send their kids to school. College, that is. Couldn't put food on the table. So uh, Mark invited, and his team invited Susan to come out. And together he wanted them to take a look. Next slide. He wanted them to take a look. Stand side by side and, and, and look at the field in which they both were engaged in. And they had to acknowledge as they stood there and they looked, they saw different things. The environment person saw the logs cut down and she's thinking about the harm that's done to wildlife and all the trees that are being destroyed. But when, when uh, Mark looked at those same trees, 
being uh, cut down and the laws that now have been put in place to stop it. He saw lost jobs. He saw families going into bankruptcy. And they began to talk to each other. She brought all her friends. He got all his friends. And it took about three years for them to figure out a way forward. But they finally figured out how to build bridges together. And here's some of the lessons that they, that they learned about building bridges across differences. Here's the first, that they, they, and they did it together. Learn, one, they learned how to focus on what they had in common. You know, uh, the lawyer, Susan, she grew up in a small town made up of hunters and uh, churchgoers. So she had this, this love of Jesus in her heart, right? A small town very much like. And so she knew that the loggers. They valued the environment just like her people. On the other hand, Mark, you know what? He was a Christian. He, he understood that the first couple of chapters of Genesis says that we need to be good stewards of the environment. And as you read through the scriptures, you read about God teaching us how to take care of the land and the property, rotating it, letting it rest, this and that. And so he could appreciate the heart of the environment. They begin to focus. So finally, you know, here's the things they had in common. What did they have in common? They all wanted to save trees, wildlife, but also families. And secondly, they taught their various groups that to understand each other's position and stories and pain doesn't mean that you have to agree. And then thirdly, they didn't just meet in formal settings. They learned how to have dinner with each other and drink coffee together and begin to hear personal stories about their families, their loved ones. And guess what? They started to humanize one another rather than demonize one another. And finally, they learned how to care not just about their own interests, but if they were going to be successful, they had to learn about to care about the other person's interests. And now that town, John Day, today has been radically transformed by this amazing cooperation led by these two Jesus followers, right? Where, where agape love of God is fully at work. They figured out how some trees can be cut down while preserving others, preserving the balance. They, they tore down a water plant that was just messing up, you know, an old water plant, replaced it with a new plant that's producing 80 million gallons a year of re and recycling the water that's um, cultivating and providing for new greenhouses, that's creating new crops that are being grown to care for the people in that community, but also being sold beyond the borders. And the list goes on and on, revolutionize that town and that region because people figured out how to build bridges together they didn't stop believing. <laughs> Here's what 1 John 4.10 says. This is real love, guys. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice. My gosh, he put your interest and my interest above his. He put his son, put your interest and my interest above his. It's a sacrifice to take away our sins. Guys, this agape love, it, it, it's, it's the real thing. It, it works in public policy. It works in bringing healing in families. It, it's, work, it's transformative when you love like Jesus loved. Don't you stop believing. Can somebody shout, don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. And finally, God's love perseveres in prayer. It's, it's, you know, some things you just got to keep praying over a period of time before you see how it's manifested 
in your life. Romans 12, 12 says this, Paul writes, Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. You want to see a, an example of a powerful answered prayer? Well, the lady to the right, the African-American, is Betty Kilby. Uh, Betty Kilby Bowen. And Phoebe, uh, Phoebe Kilby is the lady on the other side. And they have a fascinating story. So I look at them. They've written a book together called Cousins, Connected Through Slavery, a black woman and a white woman discover their past in each other. Here's the deal. Phoebe did some genealogical searching, and she figured out that her roots, which goes all the way back to Warren County in Virginia, uh, that her family were once slave owners. And in that process, she discovered Betty Kilby had the same last name. Come to find out, as was the case back then, slave owners often would be sexually involved with the slaves. Offsprings would be produced Betty is an offspring. Phoebe wanted to reach out to Betty, but she was frightened, thought she'd be rejected, didn't know what to expect. But Phoebe tells the story that she was at a Martin Luther King Jr. Day celebration, and she heard that part of the MLK speech where it says, Dr. King says, I dream of the day when the sons and daughters of former slave owners and the sons and daughters of former slaves will be able to sit together at the table of brotherhood. And something moved in her spirit, and she reached out, and she called Betty. Betty said the moment she got the call and the invitation to meet with Phoebe, that all of these memories started to flow back, and she got in touch with something that she had been ignoring. And that was generally her feelings about uh, generally white people. Um, She had been nice and been caring. But that phone, that, that email that she received ignited these feelings. She remembered that in 1958, she was one of 22 people who integrated the school system there in Warren County. She remembered how the white kids beat them up and spit on them. She remembered horribly how a few months before her graduation, she was raped by a group of these same kids. And she said God had blessed her to get past those experiences. She went on to become an executive and have kids and grandkids, and here she was at 62 years old, but she had been praying that God would use her life. She talked about civil rights. She had written books, and she would really tried to make the world better, but she kept praying. Can somebody shout prayer? She kept praying that God would not only use her to make the world better, but that God would keep making her better, and then came this email. The two of these ladies finally got together, and they began to exchange stories, and Betty shared her story, and all this stuff came out, and she broke and cried and and Phoebe apologized on behalf of her family and before they knew it something new was born and now together they engage in the work of reconciliation across the country they've written this book and here's what I'm trying to say. Here's why I'm telling you this story. By, again, by two Jesus followers who, who, who are allowing God's agape love to work in their life and, and, and who 
you know, reminds us that some prayers take a long time. I mean, even Dr. King's speech, I have a dream, and he's dreaming of this, is, is in many ways, is this prayer that sons of former slave owners and of former slaves would sit together. Well, that's coming for us. Now, listen, I get the fact that there's a lot of racial injustice. There's a lot of stuff that's going on. But you and I together need to also be able to see all of the good stuff that's happening, all of the progress that's happening, all of the answered prayers that are still emerging, even in the midst of this, for every bad story, there's a story like this. This story is not the only one. It's one of hundreds, if not thousands of stories that are manifesting across this country. And if you're not in the U.S., this story appears across tribal differences and differences of clan and nationality because the love of God is on the move despite the hatred that is rearing its head all over the world. God's love is stronger. And so you keep praying. You keep praying. Here's what Paul says, and here's where I'm going to end. He says, I pray that God, who is the source of hope, I'll get back to this next week. I pray that he will do a supernatural work. That's what he's saying. A supernatural work in your life and that he will fill you completely with a joy and a peace that comes because you have put your trust, not in people. You've put your trust, not in your resources or in your intellect, but you've put your trust in the incredible power of God that works through people, that works in the environment, that works through you because you put your trust in him. And guess what? Then you will overflow. Next slide. With the confidence and hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's saying. He says, we've got to begin to pray that God's Holy Spirit will do a supernatural work in our lives. And that he'll open our eyes. And that he'll strengthen our ability to trust in a God that is still at work. That he will strengthen our ability to open our heart to a God who's continuing looking for people through whom he can pour his love into the world. And I don't mean it in abstract ways. I mean through you into the lives of your family members and into the lives of your colleagues and collectively, come on now, through your jobs and through your careers. That this is a God who in Jesus Christ by the work of the power of the spirit is still changing the world. But he's inviting us to pray that he will open our eyes and open the eyes of our opponents and our enemies and our adversaries that the love of God will reign triumphantly. And it begins with me and you and we. So don't stop. Come on, somebody shout, don't stop. Don't you dare stop doing what's good. Don't you dare stop believing in the improbable and in the impossible because you were a few, don't you? Because I don't want you to ever stop believing in a God who can do the improbable and the impossible. And don't you dare stop. Yeah, you might have some prayer slumps. You know, there's some times when it's hard to pray, but you keep praying. And remember this about prayer, that ultimately prayer is not about getting God to do everything that you want. That prayer ultimately, first and foremost, It's about deepening our intimacy with God, getting to know God and becoming greater vessels for God's power and love to flow through us. And then the rest follows. The rest follows. Yeah. Don't just stop. Because God's love perseveres. May it persevere through your life and my life. 
in our lives together. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a reason why Scripture says, let us practice the Word of God and not just hear it or listen to it. Because it's in putting God's Word into practices where our lives are transformed. So let's take a step together. I encourage you to take your phone and aim it at the QR code right here on the screen. Go to our connection card and next steps with Jesus. And the very first option there is an opportunity for you to uh, invite Jesus to come into your life and say, look, I want to surrender my life to you, Jesus. I want you to be Lord and Savior and Redeemer of my day and of my future and of my destiny. Just simply say, God, I, I trust you. Go ahead and check that. There's some other options there that you can check as well. And then as it relates to the response to the message, here's the commitment I want you to make. Just read it out loud with me. I will keep on doing good. I'll keep on believing and keep on praying. Make that commitment, right? Take a picture of it. That's your commitment. I'll keep on doing good, believing, and praying. And then a reflection question I want you to wrestle with. Take a picture of this reflection question. What is the next step for God's love in my life? Is it in my doing good? Is it in my believing? Or is it in my praying? Where, where, where is my next area of growth? 